Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Sunday, December 19th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. He's at home. I'm also at home. Been home for about 20 minutes. Back from Las Vegas, where I lost my passport for about seven hours yesterday. That, that was frustrating. Might tell that story a little later on. Either way, the 2021 CBS Sports Classic, it's, it's now in the books. It was a du- it was not a doubleheader. It was supposed to be. But then UCLA got some COVID issues, and Ohio State got some COVID issues. Both schools had to withdraw. So instead, we got a what we like to call here on the Island College Basketball Podcast, we got a, a single header between Kentucky and North Carolina. The game was never close. Final score, Kentucky 98, North Carolina 69. It's a 29-point win. But John Calipari's Wildcats, it was the most lopsided margin in this UK-UNC series since 1950. Dead leg, let me ask you this. Was what happened Saturday in Las Vegas, inside T-Mobile Arena, was that more about Kentucky being awesome or North Carolina being something less than awesome? What was the story? I mean, if you were there. <laughs> I'm, glad, I, I'm glad that I wasn't. I had a seat right next to you. I know. I saw the, you had texted me that and I saw it like 30 minutes later. I was like, game started. I'm not going to bother him. But yeah, I did have a seat in case I went, but uh, I, I am, I am, I would have been wonderful to see you and, uh, and do a podcast, presumably in person. But then again, with the cron, <laughs> with the other kind of cron now, uh, not the cron as we've referred to it in for like decades, not that cron, the other cron, Omicron. Who knows if we've been able to do it in person. Anyway, I'm happy that I did not fly all the way to Vegas across the country to go watch just a beat them down. Big Horrific. time. Horrific basketball game. Like, Horrific. I mean, not, I'll be honest. not if you're a Kentucky fan. Like, if you're a Kentucky oh, yeah. fan or if you're like Severe Weather's father, amazing experience. But outside, like, from my perspective, it's like, this game sucks. And it never got, it never, there was like a maybe a three-minute stretch at the end of the first half where, like, North Carolina showed a little bit of life. But they still never got it to a place where you thought they were going to make a run. And then Kentucky pushed it out beginning of the second half, controlled it. It got to a point where it's like, are they going to win by 30 or 40? I mean, that's where we were at. They're going to win by 25, 30, or 40. Um, so it was a bad, uh, uh, uninter- uh, uh, a less than ideal basketball competition. Here's my question for you. You're in the building. You're me. Just yeah. taller and skinnier. You got to write a column off that game. Are you writing about, woo boy, look at Kentucky, or oh my God, look at North Carolina? I would have done what you did if it was just me. I would have written GP wrote off of North Carolina, and because North Carolina is the story here. Uh, right now, Carolina, it's only win of note. I mean, it struggled at home against Brown. I was there in person when it uh, couldn't keep up with Purdue. It got handled by Tennessee a day later uh, at the Mohegan Sun Casino. Um, it's got that win over Michigan, but we don't know on Michigan yet. You know, Michigan is seven and four and 
as we speak, scheduled to play Purdue Fort Wayne on Tuesday. Again, everything we're back in this spot where it's like they're scheduled. We'll see. We'll we'll see. Um, you know, I will give them credit. Carolina did uh they did wipe the floor with Georgia Tech, which isn't that good of a team, though, right? Um and then here, just you focused your your column focused on the rebounding, which is a good point to focus on because with Hubert Davis taking over, you're going to have a team with a, a different identity for sure. This is this is not a case where Hubert's taking the keys from Roy, and we're having a, a ton of similarity, and it's almost like a Larry Coker Miami football situation from two decades ago. There will be some elements that are similar, but Hubert said there will be elements that would be different, and we know that to be true. I'll let you focus in and, and kind of uh, talk about what you wrote the column up. To me, Carolina's the bigger story. Kentucky, great stuff. Love to see it. I, I thought, uh, well, one of us thought you would win on this podcast. Who was that, by the way? Ooh, ooh that was tough. Yeah. So, again, uh, blind squirrel finds a nut and all that good stuff. I thought Kentucky would win. Come on. No one thought it would be this. I checked out probably about 12 minutes to go in the game. It just wasn't – there wasn't anything – it wasn't. It just wasn't anything compelling about it. So, I did think about Jim. Like, my man, he's getting a single header in this game. It's just it's, awful. Well, that's, awful. When you, that's when you go ahead and start working on the column. You know, you start – you go ahead and you start doing all of the – I don't know what your process with column writing is exactly, but um, I, I get an idea and then I really folk. I try to focus on that idea. And then it's a lot of research on the fly. Like, okay, what, what does this mean? Do I have numbers to back up what I'm saying? Um, can I better illustrate the point I'm trying to make with some sort of uh, set of facts? And so once it becomes clear, Kentucky's going to not only win this game, but win it convincingly in a way that is, you know, historically, awful uh, by North Carolina standards. And I was still sort of struck by the numbers got better, not much, but better as the game went on. But like we were sitting there with four minutes to go in the first half and North Carolina had zero offensive rebounds and Kentucky was just destroying them on the offensive glass. And this is a point anybody who listens to the podcast knows we've talked about before. I talked about it when I was on the sideline um, for North Carolina college of Charleston, we talked about it on Friday in advance of this game that Hubert Davis's uh, decision to emphasize spacing and shooting has come with a cost. And the cost is that North Carolina is not only not the offensive rebounding team it used to be, it's, it's, it's worse than it's ever been, at least in two decades, um, by a significant margin. And so I went and started looking this stuff up. And what I found was interesting, I think. In 18 years under Roy Williams, uh, North Carolina finished in the top 25 in offensive rebounding percentage, according to Kim Palm, 16 times. In the top 10, eight times. In the top five, five times. And finished first in the country in that category twice, including last season. And last season, of course, it's not hard to figure out why. They were starting a front, front court of... Armando Baycott and Garrison Brooks, two traditional bigs. And, you know, th that is one way to improve your offensive rebounding numbers. But over the years, I had talked to Roy Williams about this multiple times. And I was like, how do you teach? Because I just thought it was always interesting, regardless of who was enrolling and who was leaving, North Carolina was always a very good offensive rebounding team. It became clear it was something he was emphasizing. And I said, just walk me through that. Like, how do you teach offensive rebound? Because some coaches will just tell you it's all about effort. You know, just got who wants it more, you know, who, and it's got to be more than that. I mean, I acknowledge effort 
and energy is a big part of it, but there's got to be something more to it than that. You just can't get a bunch of guys who try real hard. And they're going to go out and be the best offensive rebound team in the country. So what was it that Roy did that made North Carolina that consistently? And he acknowledged to me that he emphasizes it. They, they, they work on it in film. They work on it in practice. It is a priority for them. It is something that he established as a principal in that program very early on. This is something we're going to be great at. Sometimes better than others, but always good. And for nearly two decades, with few exceptions, they were. And now they don't, they don't offensive rebound at all. Like they missed 30 shots against Kentucky. And they grabbed six offensive rebounds. That's an offensive rebounding rate of 20%. That's awful. Kentucky missed 33 shots of the game, to contrast. They grabbed 17 offensive rebounds. Offensive rebounding rate of 51.5. Like, like, and, and one, one team's bad at it. The other team is literally the best in the country at it mm-hmm. this season. Be, largely, not, not totally, but certainly partly, largely, because of the presence of Oscar Shibwe, who's just terrific. So now UNC's offensive rebounding percentage is 29.3 on the season. It ranks 146 in the country. And when you combine that with the fact, at least through 11 games, that Carolina doesn't guard at all, they don't guard anybody. They show no resistance. Severe Wheeler got anywhere he wanted to go. And even Hubert Davis, after the game, said he just got, he was just faster than anybody else we had. But like, okay, but it's like you still can't let a 5'9 point guard just get anywhere he wants to go. He had 11 shots at the rim, a 5'9 point guard, who was like, getting questioned by his own fan base as recently as two days ago. So when you combine the fact that North Carolina doesn't offensive rebound at all, doesn't guard at all, they got real problems. And so now they're eight and three, but just one and three against top 100 Kimpom teams, the lone top 100 win, like you said, is over Michigan. What does that say about Michigan though? Like maybe we need to start talking about what is up with Michigan that they lost to that team. You know, they didn't just lose. I mean, it was, it was a no contest kind of deal too. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'd bottom line it this way. We're only 11 games in. It's not even Christmas. Still a lot of time to turn stuff around, blah, blah, blah. But here's the truth. Right now, Hubert Davis is on pace to have a worse offensive rebounding team and a worse defensive team than any team Roy Williams ever had, period, in 18 years in Chapel Hill. Doesn't mean he's doomed, but it does suggest not off to a great start. Well, if you want some more truth, this is also the case. Carolina wasn't going to the 2020 tournament that never happened. Sub 500 team, 14 wins that season. Last season becomes the first time Roy Williams ever loses in the first round of the NCAA tournament. UNC was just an eight seed. And now UNC is an eight and three team um, that has some inconsistencies to it. So, uh, you know, I want to remind listeners, I know the Carolina fans tuned in are very familiar with this, but I think, for your, you know, invested college basketball fan who might just this stuff kind of might float off their radar. You know, they might have forgotten that the year there was no NCAA tournament. Carolina wasn't even close. They were terrible, 14 and 19. And then last season, they were up and down the whole season. Remember, before it was Duke and Kentucky aren't going to the tournament. It was, are we going to see a tournament without Duke, Kentucky and Carolina? And then Carolina kind of got it together down the final four to six weeks of the season. They wind up, you know, comfortably getting in with some good performances there. So keep that in mind. Um, Parrish mentioned 1950 was the largest last, last time Kentucky had a, a win over Carolina this big. I saw that in the game notes, January of 1950, 83-44. The last time Carolina lost by this many points was 2012. They lost by 29, uh, or they lost by, excuse me, 33. Um, 
They lost by 29 to Kentucky over the weekend. That was a loss at Florida State. UNC was only one of 13 from three-point range. Um, terrible. Uh, credit to UNC Sports Information, Steve Kirshner, for this. Their shooting percentage, 0.77%. It was the sixth lowest in school history with at least 10 three-point attempts in a game. Um, just brutal, brutal stuff. Kentucky at one point led by 35, and uh, they hadn't trailed in a game by as many as 35 points since at Duke in 2010. That Duke team went on to win the national championship there. Kentucky ruled, man. It wasn't even a huge game for Shibway. I mean, yeah, they scored 54 points in the paint. Shibway was good, not great. It was he was he was acceptable, maybe for his level, and he was unstoppable as far as Carolina was concerned. Yeah, Kentucky had 22 points off turnovers on top of 54 points in the paint, and Wheeler was awesome, man. He, the best game he had had so far this season. Uh, he had a, he had a nice little. I know you wouldn't have seen this because you were obviously there, but he had a he had a nice post game interview with our friend Jamie Erdahl. Uh, but yeah, man, 12 of 15 from the floor. 26 points, eight dimes. Really, uh, you know, we've opened on Carolina as we should. But just a, a quick note on Kentucky. This is what you kind of want to see. Uh, and now a Louisville game, hopefully scheduled to await later this week. Let's hope that both of these teams can continue to dodge um, what we've seen here with COVID. But uh, just a, a really inspiring win. And I, and I don't care how you get it, when you get it, where you get it. You beat Carolina by that much regardless of the circumstances that lead up to you, that's going to put some real pep in your step if you're a Kentucky fan. So that's that's good to see. But if you're UNC, yes, you've got some concerns. The good and bad of this, and I feel like we're going to bring this up a lot, but it's unavoidable. Um, the double-edged sword of Carolina's situation right now is it's going into ACC play in a league that's very manageable. They can get some wins. But because they can get some wins, the ACC is going to struggle to be a four-bid league this season. It might get there. I, I, it's hard to see how it's going to get five, and maybe it will. But the point is, Carolina's resume to this point is just kind of, and, you know, barring it really turning things around and becoming the best team in the ACC, which no one can forecast or can see that right now, um, we could be talking about, could, could, not for sure, but could be talking about a Carolina team that's kind of flirting with that, you know, if not bubble, but like, Double-digit steed C status for much of the season. It's really got to see if it can uh, if it can turn things around after Christmas. Yeah, I don't think avoiding the bubble is a certainty. I mean, they're they're 37th at Ken Palm right now. That's bubbly. That's like that gets you in that range. And they're 59th at Torvik. You're never gonna believe I learned how to take the preseason bias out. Dude, I'm so, I'm you're, so good. You're, also, you're referencing rebound rates. If you would have told 2016 version of me on this podcast that Parrish would be willingly and under his own uh, condition, volition, <laughs> and understanding referencing rebound rate, just I would never have believed it. So I mean, I've known about rebound rate way before 2016. Dead leg, you're, you're selling me short. I do, I do, I did just figure out how to remove preseason bias out of Torvik, and now that's what I do just for fun. Like when I'm just sitting around during the day, I just go over. I'm just like, I'm a little bored right now. I used to, I'd get bored and I'd watch Big Bank Challenges on Instagram. Now I get bored and I just remove preseason bias. Oh, okay. That's what I, that's what I do for growing. fun now. That's, yeah, that's, what, that's, that's what I do for fun now. That's what I do. That's how I entertain myself. Um, even in Las Vegas, I found myself last night just like sitting around. Some people like to go to shows. Some people play blackjack. I just sit around re removing preseason bias. That's all I was doing. So um, when you remove the preseason bias at Torvik, they're now 59th. And Kim Pop's got a projected record of 20 and 11 in the regular season, 12 and 8 in the ACC. Is that good enough? I have no idea. It doesn't I mean, sound the, the yeah, answer is, I, the answer, their answer is who knows? Right. The answer is who knows? But, you know, the answer is we'll see. But it's not a, it, you know, yeah, it's not encouraging if you're a North Carolina fan. 
and I know it's easy to sit around now and say, yeah, but, you know, how talented is this roster really? A lot of five stars and four star guys on that roster. It is a roster that most people ranked in the top 20 in the preseason. Brady Manick has been a good college basketball player. Armando Baycott is a good college basketball player, really good college basketball player. They've got good players, but they're not playing well. And it's obviously um, discouraging for North Carolina fans. Real quick on Kentucky, I thought it was interesting. And I'll, I'll be fascinated to see how it works going forward. You know, after they scored, that's the other thing. North Carolina just lost by 29 to a Kentucky team that scored 62 points against Notre Dame last a week earlier. Like, what? What? So John, after the game, Calipari, said that they went back to some of their dribble drive principles that he used at Memphis, that he used early at Kentucky. Um, and, 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 and I don't want to oversimplify it, but a lot of that is creating space and getting guards going downhill. And so it looked unbelievable against North Carolina. You know, 50% from the field, above 50% from three. They're terrific. Severely got wherever he wanted. We've talked about that. I just wonder, like, does that mean they fixed it or does that just mean they were playing North Carolina? <laughs> and I know that sounds weird to say, but, like, I think anybody creating space and getting quick guards going downhill is going to give North Carolina problems right now. Um, and it was, as I was doing my live shot after the game outside T-Mobile, um, you know, you get some Kentucky fans come by and you want to say hello or hang out or whatever. And I, I give the ones I talked to, I give them credit. They were like, man, that was a lot of fun. That was awesome. But are we really that good? Or are they really that bad? Even Kentucky fans were like, are we, did we really fix everything? No, no. Or, or, or are they just not good? And I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I think Kentucky played its best game of the season. It's probably better than some people thought it was, say, a week ago after the loss of Notre Dame. But some of Kentucky looking amazing was North Carolina being dreadful. No disagreement from me there. Hey, before we move on to the next topic, can we just do this now? Can you just tell the story? What story? <laughs> the story about my passport? Maybe, maybe I'm in the minority on this, but I'm not bringing the passport unless it's international, man. Oh, for the pond. What are you doing Unless you don't have the license with the star on it, that's the, that's the other thing. Oh. I got the verified license. Okay, I was gonna, story. Before. I was gonna. I was yeah. gonna save the story for the end because by the time we get to the end of the podcast, it's people who are here for us anyway. Okay. Push it to the end. This is gonna. If how about that? How about that? Look at look at my tease here. Look at your we'll tease. Save it. We'll save it for the end. My man is ridiculous. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> okay, we'll tell. You, I'll tell you how I lost my passport. We'll do that at the end of the show. Because by the end, like if people are actually here for college basketball, then they don't want to be interrupted with another one with another one of my stupid stories. But um, the people who are going to stick around to the end, they probably can't wait for another one of my stupid stories. So I'll give it to them at the end. Let's move on to the next topic. Baylor won at Oregon on Saturday night. Scott Drew's 400th win of his career. So the Bears remain undefeated. They'll be number one again in the AP poll come Monday. We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. 
the dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Baylor won at Oregon on Saturday night. The Bears trailed by double digits in the first half, but outscored Oregon 43-31 in the second half. They won it 78-70. So Baylor's now 10-0, still number one in the top 25-1, and one, will remain number one in the AP poll and the coaches poll. Here's something I was thinking about, because when I led the top 25 and one on this um, for Sunday morning, um, I, I said Scott Drew, a likely future Naismith Memorial Hall of Famer. If Scott Drew never coached in another game, for whatever reason, just over today, is he, is he in the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame? Uh, I would vote him in. I th- let, me, let me say this. Well, you're not a voter. I, I should be. I know. No one knows. That's the thing. No one knows who votes for that, by the way. That's a secret conglomerate. I know who votes for it. You do not. Yes, I do. Okay. I do know. Not as one of them. Dude, shh, keep it on the down low. I, uh, I, here's what I think. I think he's obviously not going to stop coaching today. Um, so he'll have a career when it's all done. He will be in the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. But I think you could make a case today. If he never coached another game, you could put him in there. Let me ask Bryce. Bryce, do you think that your brother should be in the Hall of Fame? Again, if he stopped coaching today. This is Bryce, and I don't care. He has Not to care. Cool, he, has to, he has to care. Not cool. Him. It's his brother. Not cool. Bryce in Grand Canyon, by the way, ending San Francisco's undefeated campaign Saturday night. Um, are we saying, Scott, listen, conditions matter here. Um, is Scott Drew willingly walking away? What's, what's the cause for him stopping coaching? Is it a scandal? Is no, it so no, don't even talk like that. Don't even, okay. say, don't even, you're, you're the one who's got him no longer coaching. He just decided he wanted to spend time with Huck and the rest of the family. You know what? In all seriousness, I think winning the national championship at Baylor and get, and getting them to the point where, again, as we said on the podcast last Sunday, and as we, as I said on HQ, uh, Baylor is operating as the best program, big picture in the sport right now. It is Baylor. And because of that, I think that he would get in eventually. There's new parameters where like, you know, you got to be retired like whatever. So it would happen. It wouldn't happen overnight, but yes, I think he gets in. Baylor is 64 and six in its past 70 games. And on, and that like, it's one thing when Gonzaga does that, with a lot of WCC games or Memphis used to do it under John Calipari with a bunch of conference USA games, 64 and six playing in the big 12 over a 70 game span is outrageous. 16th game winning streak that dates to last season in that stretch. They've got wins over Gonzaga, Wisconsin, 
Arkansas, Houston, Michigan State, Oregon, VCU, Stanford, Arizona State, and Villanova twice. And each of those 60 wins has come by at least eight points. They were in a little bit of a fight Saturday night at Oregon. You know, they got down double digits. A little bit. I, I, I wasn't surprised they found themselves having to come from behind. I, like, I know Oregon's not good. They're like, they lost five of their, they lost half their first 10 games on the season. But still, that's true road environment against a great coach with a program that, regardless of what they are this season, they're back-to-back outright Pac-12 champions. I thought Oregon would play them. And then Baylor just ran away from them in the second half. Just, they, they, you know, I know we've spent so much time in the offseason talking about Gonzaga, and we've spent a lot of time this season talking about Purdue. And now here we are, you know, the week of Christmas, and Baylor's number one and looks with a, after losing four, that's the other thing, losing four starters, and they look like they can win the national championship again. I don't know that they will, but they de- put together a list of five teams that can do it, and they probably got to be on it. My two things from this is what you just touched on there. As I was watching them come back and win against Oregon on Saturday night, I it was after like a Kinjo hit a three, and I can't remember what that brought the uh, Oregon deficit to. But I sat there and thought, okay, they're still undefeated. They're going to be number one again. The best program in the sport. Like, are we going to be heading into the tournament where Baylor's going to be favored to win again? And could 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 we actually have, for as incredible as it was last season, for Baylor to win it the way it did dramatically and just like just wipe the floor with thirty-one and zero Gonzaga before it was thirty-one and one Gonzaga. You know, winning back to back seldom happens. It's it's only happened twice since seventy-three, uh, seventy-two, seventy-three. So or early 70s, 74, 75, I think it is. No, 75 is UCLA, 74 is NC State, 72, 73, I think it is. Um, you had Duke, and then you had Florida. So the idea that Baylor would do it is just bonkers to me, but it will be it will be on the table. The other thought I had was, oh, my gosh. Dude, I don't know if anyone's got a bigger trampoline in college basketball than Kendall Brown. <laughs> what? He does. Were you seeing some of the plays he was making? No, he's incredible. He's a he's one and done. He's you know, a we, joke, dude. We talk all the time about the difference between great prospects and great players. He's a great prospect who's also a great player. Yeah. He had, he, he, it's funny. He had 17 points on seven of eight shooting, four boards, you know, a steal. But his mere you can he is one of those players where his mere presence on the floor provides – a genese qua, if you will, for Baylor and the team it's going against because he has such an imposing capability athletically. And uh, I feel like we the best is way yet to come with him. So um, Scott Drew's got a, a lot to, uh, a lot to share with that roster. And Kendall Brown will be the uh, the name to know going forward as, you know, college basketball gets a little more time to itself as we, you know, once college football's over. And, you know, the idea that Baylor's just on TV on weeknights more frequently, maybe a high-profile game on the weekend. They're not playing at 10 o'clock on a Saturday, if you will. Uh, Kendall Brown, I just, I anticipate him to become one of the five or six most talked about freshmen in America by the time we, basically a month from now. And so those are my two big takeaways. All right, let's get on to the most controversial college basketball development of the weekend. Big in-state rivalry game between Tennessee and Memphis. Supposed to be played in Nashville. 
a little more than an hour before tip-off, the game was canceled because of COVID issues within the Memphis program. What we have subsequently found out is that two Memphis players, specifically Landers Nolly and Tyler Harris, uh, both tested positive for COVID on Saturday morning. My understanding is that um, one of the two woke up on Saturday morning not feeling well. In this day and age in college basketball or any other team sport, if you're not feeling well, you are instructed to tell somebody quickly. Um, he appropriately uh, told the trainer. Uh, they immediately do a COVID test. Comes back positive. And then they test the other one because those two, again, my understanding is, are roommates on the road. So for the sake of the conversation, let's say Tyler Harris tested positive, woke up feeling sick. Um, tested, you know, told somebody they get a test positive. Well, we got to test his roommate now. That one comes back positive. They tested them three times each. Penny Hardaway said earlier today, every one of them came back positive. They didn't even have any sort of wiggle room. Here. Can we go a fourth time just to make absolutely <laughs> certain, please? So at that point, contact tracing protocols kick in. And according to Penny Hardaway, after you take into account the players that Memphis is redshirting, the players at Memphis who are hurt and unable to play right now, and the unvaccinated players who were subject to contact tracing, Memphis only had four players available to play in the game. So Memphis had to withdraw from the game. And Penny did clarify, again on Sunday afternoon, that his vaccinated players were not subject to these same contact tracing protocols. In other words, Memphis has got a lot of unvaccinated players. And that is the only explanation for why Memphis could not field a team against Tennessee. I know you're um, a little removed for, from it, and congratulations on it, because down here it gets real in the weeds. But there were all these conspiracies about what Memphis had done and hadn't done and a bunch of people talking when they don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, Memphis didn't want to play it. Memphis was ducking Tennessee. Turns, turns, it turns out the truth is that Memphis has so many unvaccinated players that once the medical officials came in and started contact tracing, anybody who was unvaccinated is out. And after that number um, was identified could not that, put a starting five on the floor couldn't put a starting five on the floor which and i tweeted this earlier and penny is is catching it as much hell from local media as as i think he's ever caught because in the preseason he did say he was asked just like every other coach is asked and he said like yeah about 90 percent of our guys are vaccinated aaron rogers this is this is college basketball's aaron rogers situation it is at best he assumed incorrectly. At worst, he was flat lying. Um, and he explained today, and this is the one that I just cannot get my head around. He said, when I said 90%, it was based on we had all these guys. They were all talking about getting vaccinated. And then I guess they just never did. And I just really hadn't thought about it until today. What? Like you and I have both talked to a million coaches about this. Literally more than 100 for the Candy Coaches series. And... There are some coaches who have 100% vaccination rates on the team. Other coaches who have struggled with it to some degree. I know one coach who's got a player. He's like, my player legitimately comes from an anti-vax family. Like, you can call them crazy. I think they're crazy. But 
Like that is really who these people are and they are not getting this vaccine. So you deal with that. Then you've got the religious exemptions. Like I know one coach who told me like, I've got a Muslim player. He ain't getting this vaccine. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. I, I can sit him down and educate him all I want to. At the end of the day, his religion's going to win out. There's nothing I can do. My point is this. Penny Hardaway is not the only coach in America who doesn't have his entire team vaccinated. But every coach I know knows who's vaccinated and who isn't. Like the idea that Penny would genuinely say today, I assume they were getting vaccinated because they talked about they were, and then I just sort of let it go. I never really talked about it again. Like what? Because here's the truth. If this many Memphis players are actually unvaccinated, which we now know there is, Memphis was always one positive case from having to shut down. Dude. That, is, that's, that, that makes it impossible to get through the season, especially now. And how about this? You ready for this? With this Omicron going around? Exactly. You, they're going to be, they've already had to cancel Tuesday night's game. They're going to come back in seven days. You know what's going to happen? Boom. Another positive shut down again. That's, that's the takeaway from this. Okay. Is that because all these players are not, this is, <laughs> I know when we talk about real world issues here that impact the sport, sometimes people can't handle it, but we're going to have a grown up conversation about this. Okay. The seemingly great news, or at least the encouraging news coming out of South Africa, which was the epicenter for when we first discovered Omicron, is that, man, it really looks like this next variant here, it just doesn't seem to be posing the kind of threat for hospitalizations and deaths the way that Delta did and even Wild Type did. That is wonderful. I mean, this is something that gives us real hope going forward, right? But the other side of it is it is looking to be absurdly transmissible, okay? And this idea that people think that these teams can work their way around it. So it's like, stop testing, stop testing the players. Again, I'll repeat what I said, and I'll bring this back to Memphis. I'll repeat what I said on the Friday podcast. These programs have not been testing their players because they've been vaccinated. The ones that haven't been vaccinated, yes, depending on where you go to school, you are subject, some of them literally to three times a week testing, okay? But because Omicron is so transmissible, when you've got team doctors and people in the medical field, you know, the kind of people that go to school until they're 27, 28, 30 years old, and it's literally their livelihood that depend upon this, they're not going to be fudging with the numbers or trying to take advantage of a locker room situation by not testing. They literally will get fired and they're open to litigation against them. That's not going to happen. You're not living in the real world. You don't understand how these things work, okay? So for Memphis specifically, because it has such a high rate, and this is more than anyone I've heard from. I've talked to a couple coaches that are like, I got seven or eight and then the other half of my roster. I've heard a couple of those. I haven't heard as four. So what Memphis is in danger of here is because Omicron specifically is so transmissible, the Tigers potentially could be looking at losing 30% of the schedule if, if, they, if this keeps happening, right? If they, can't, if they just can't get off the mat and they keep getting these tests, they're not going to be able to play them if they're asymptomatic. If you are unvaccinated, that's a different deal than what the NFL is trying to change right now and the NBA is looking into. You're vaccinated, you got your booster, you're asymptomatic, you should be able to play. I think a lot of us are getting to the point where that seems to make sense, okay? We are learning as we go, week by week, month by month with this, okay? If you are vaccinated and particularly boosted, which I think is another huge thing, because if the, the data and science is showing, if you get your booster shot, even with Omicron, 
you're that less likely to be symptomatic. If you are not symptomatic, you are not going to get tested. College basketball is going to have a very messy January here because a lot of these players haven't been boosted yet. Now this thing is ridiculously transmissible, and so they're just they're a little more likely, even if they got their two shots as opposed to the booster, to show symptoms. When that happens, it triggers the team doctor. All these schools are going to go through this, and so this is something that the sport is not going to be able to avoid. A lot of coaches told me they're going to try and get their players vaccinated or boosted literally this weekend into early next week when they don't have games around the break. But for Memphis, I don't know what happens here, man. I would love to be wrong. But if you're telling me you only have four players who have been fully vaccinated in the midst of surges that is showing nationwide data that is as high as almost as it was at the beginning of this damn thing, Parrish, it's a it's a. It's a huge issue. I can't believe we're talking about Memphis again, but they're they're now at the epicenter. It's it's amazing to me. And Penny does deserve the criticism. And the idea that he didn't know the number is a joke. And it's also like he deserves to be called out for for saying ninety. But he, man, that was that was just disingenuous at absolute best there. And it's phenomenal to me how Memphis, on a literal week by week, almost game by game basis, there's just something, one thing after the other with this program here. It's just crazy. No, it's it, not. it really is. And so that, and and then on top of all this, like you lose the Tennessee game, you got people in the arena. Like Tennessee ran an intra squad scrimmage. Billis was there, like that was the number one ESPN team that was on there to call to call oh. the game, and we lose it. You just can't have this, man. You can't have situations where people are driving literally with that kind of game. They're traveling hours and hours to get there, and then seventy minutes before you you finally alert the public we're not playing again. Can't have this in the sport. You got to fix things. No, it, I mean it's a mess and embarrassing. And I say this as a University of Memphis graduate. Like I'm embarrassed for my university that it would conduct itself in this way. Because it's one thing to have a player or two. To have the majority of your team unvaccinated in a way that is inevitably going to blow up. Like, there's no way it's not going to blow up on you. Is wildly irresponsible. Like, take for a second how anybody listening right now feels about COVID, the vaccine, any of that stuff. I'm not here to have that debate. Take it. Put it over here. Let's talk strictly from a basketball perspective. You are at an incredible competitive disadvantage if you don't have your team vaccinated because of contact tracing protocols, because of possible shutdowns, and now here is Memphis. It did this to itself. And unless Penny's got his players, like literally at Walgreens tomorrow getting shots, they will be shut down again. I don't know how much you've read about this Omicron, but like this is the beginning of a bad wave, according to the greatest health officials in our world. They don't think this is like it's going to get a little dicey for a couple of days. This going this is we're about to go through a wild wave where we might all end up getting this virus. Most of us, the double vaccinated and the um boosted gp has lost his mic here so we are we are in real time right now gp you got to fix gp's got to fix that mic you got me buddy because you you are out this is live podcasting right now we cannot hear your mic here i don't even think parish knows right now <laughs> this is the glory of live podcasting he is now just figuring i can't hear you buddy it, 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 mic dropped out He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to reset it up. He's 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 rolling too. He's rolling. 
he's rolling. Nada's going to have to text him in real time to get that sound check right back up. Because guess what? We're live on we are live on YouTube. I think he accidentally knocked over his mic cord. Once you can hear me again, GP, you go ahead and you can you can check back in. Um, but I won't I won't change the uh, topic here till he's till he's good to go. I think I hear you. I think I hear you, buddy. This is this is where it gets fun for the people listening on the podcast the next morning, the day after. Uh, he's he's I mean he's who knows what's happening here. I will continue with my own thought as he gets this going. I do think, like right now as we talk, we're at more than 30 schools that are on COVID pause. This is obviously a huge deal in the sport. Now, the reason why this is happening is because a lot of cases you've had players who got their vaccine shots more than six months ago. So it's it's really a, a devilish combination where, unfortunately, the vaccine does wane after six months, and now you have a super transmissible virus. Thankfully, that doesn't appear to be nearly as big of an individual threat as it once was. So we are now at 30 plus. I'm literally getting a text message from someone else right now. I'm not sure what it says, but that's where we're at. Parrish, can you hear me? I do hear you. Let me tell yeah. you what happened. My battery was going dead, so I unplugged what oh! I... <laughs> Well, this is what happens when I've been on a flight for three hours, right? My battery on my laptop goes dead, but I, so I tried to charge it as soon as I got home. And then I was going to hardwire in. I only got two little ports on the side. So one of them has got to be my board, and the other one had to be um, my mic and or uh, whatever. I had to. And uh, so I unplugged what I thought was something to be able to plug in the uh, actual power and it didn't i unplugged the, i unplugged the wrong thing that's a, that's the long and short of it but now this i'm is, back this is two podcasts in a row where we did not have our computers appropriately plugged in so continue where you're yeah. at I was here's, just my, here, here's what i was saying here's what i was saying god i wish we could edit this um <laughs> forget what you how you feel about covid or how you feel about vaccines like i don't even care um if if you play college basketball or you run a college basketball team, you are at a competitive disadvantage if you're unvaccinated because of the contact tracing protocols. And it, if you were vaccinated, because this Omicron is going to get, it's going to, it's going to be everywhere. Like, I, I don't know where I lost my mic, but if you read about this, the, the greatest medical officials in the world seem to think this is the beginning of a wave that is going to be very complicated. And that means that if you are, it means that a, a lot of people are going to get this, perhaps even you and I, but because we're vaccinated and boosted, we might not even know we have it. We won't show symptoms. We probably won't test. But if college basketball players are going to have to be tested regularly, then if you're unvaccinated, I mean, if contact, I guess I'd bottom line it this way. If you're unvaccinated and subject to contact tracing, I think it's actually impossible for you to get through any two-week span, three-week span over the next few months. If not impossible, it's improbable. Um, I mean, look at what's happening in the NBA right now. It is one positive test after another, after another, after another. So how could Memphis be watching this and think, we'll have zero positive tests? Yeah, the Nets have a million and the Bulls have a million. We'll have zero. How could you even assume that's going to be the case? And you have to know 
if if you have unvaccinated players, then contact tracing is going to wipe them out the second you get one positive case. This was unavoidable. This was inevitable. It was always going to happen. And the problem going forward is like this unvaccinated status of so many Memphis basketball players, it doesn't end today. Like unless they get vaccinated, this will happen again. I promise you. It could happen two days before the Houston game, two minutes before the Houston game. And Rick Barnes said over the weekend that he's not going to reschedule this Memphis game. And I know that has bothered some Memphis fans. Rick Barnes is right. There is no scenario where if I were the coach and I just took my team to Nashville, took my fans to Nashville, it's one thing pre-vaccine when, hey, things just happen, what are you going to do? But when I know we had to cancel a game an hour before it was going to tip off because you didn't get your program vaccinated? No, nah, why am I rescheduling with you? So that we can we can plan again and the same thing happen? No shot. No shot. Rick Barnes would be crazy to put his team in another game with Memphis. And you want to know the bigger problem? Penny, now Memphis has a game to make, and they need a quality win opportunity. You tell me if I'm wrong, but this is what I tweeted earlier. You know, Penny's like, well, we got to get another game now. He wants it to be Tennessee, but if not Tennessee, somebody else. Who's putting, who's scheduling a game with you? I wouldn't. I would not schedule. Another coach says he's going to play you. The AD won't let, won't let him play you. Mike Krzyzewski said over this weekend, I disagree with this. Um, And I think a lot of people would even level-headed people. Coach said, Mike Krzyzewski said, we need to go back to testing teams like we tested them last year because he's not comfortable with the idea that he could play games against teams going forward when, with them not testing as frequently going forward as they were up until this point. So to your point, I don't think Memphis is getting games because a lot of coaches or their ADs or bosses wouldn't be comfortable with it. Um, but I still don't think that's the answer. Again, as long as you have players who are vaccinated and particularly boosted, you greatly reduce the chances of you showing symptoms. If you don't show symptoms, you are, you can be in the clear. Okay. That's a, now we'll save that for another time. That's that, that's the next huge challenge for college basketball. Okay. Is, is that because it is just, just going to be a, listen, it's going to be bumpy as hell in January and maybe even into February. Okay. Just no one wants it to be like this, man. We don't want to be opening up our feeds and seeing, you know, tweets from Woj every seven minutes. That, that make it feel like we're in a dystopia again because another dude just went on COVID protocols, okay? So for Memphis in particular, it's because it was unvaccinated. Um, but I will be fair to the situation in general before we do our weekend whip around and all that stuff. By the way, the comments are phenomenal. They're saying the Penny's people sabotaged your mic when it went out. The anti-vaxxers are onto them. Uh, this is- <laughs> I, I, had a, I, had two, I had two plugs. I had just to remove one and then put the power supply in. I just picked uh, the wrong, I picked the wrong one. Incredible, incredible stuff. Um, uh, but I, I even forgot what I was going to say. I forgot what. Oh, oh. Well, um, well, how, about, how about this? I got a text from uh, Memphis Booster mm-hmm. after all of this came out. Because it's one thing on Saturday morning. You're frustrated. And, but it's like, hey, you know, this. You know, look at the NBA. Things are getting shut down and canceled everywhere, you know, and that we're just the next right. one. It becomes another level of disappointment when you find out. Hold up. We could have played. Could have played without Landers, Nyler, and Tyler Harris, but we could have played if our team was vaccinated, but they're not, so we didn't. And I just spent – I don't know if you've been to Nashville lately. Hotels ain't cheap. I, I, I just drove to Nashville on Friday, got a $300 a night hotel for Friday and Saturday night. 
Um, yeah. Put gas in the car, bought the tickets, to you know, bought the dinners and the lunches and the breakfasts, and we couldn't play because my team's not vaccinated. Oh, by the way, after the coach said we're 90% vaccinated? What? I got a text from a booster, and this isn't like a guy who gives – you know, ten thousand dollars. This is a guy who gives six figures annually, and he was like, "Why do I always feel like nobody's in charge over there? Like, why does this kind of stuff always happen to the school I care about? Why is Memphis the one school that would play James Wiseman in defiance of the NCAA in a way that triggers an infractions case? Like, shouldn't somebody stop that from happening? How is Memphis the only team we know of at this moment?" that had to cancel a game an hour before tip-off simply because they didn't have enough vaccinated players. How, how does that keep happening at the same school? Who's in charge? Who's yeah. the leader? I understand the guy's frustration. All right, last thing on this, and we can go to the weekend whip round. Because uh, on the other side of this, though, you know, for our viewers and listeners to understand of what's really happening behind the scenes here, again, these decisions are not getting made by the coaching staff for sure and often even out of athletic director's hands. I had three people tell me with three different programs that have had to go on pause. And again, we're at more than 30 in the past, like three days, literally a text from a coach in the past 24 hours. Who's on pause. We could have technically played, but our team doctor was a hard. No, I got told with two other programs. They had two COVID positives. They could have played team. Doctor said, not going to happen. The reason why is the sport and all of American sports has been caught flat footed. Didn't anticipate that there would be this just devilish combination of vaccine efficacy dropping after six months. Then you got all these players that haven't gotten boosted. And now you've got this ridiculously transmissible variant. So that's why this is happening because the protocols haven't been updated for everyone that might be thinking, okay, then just make it so if you are vaccinated and boosted, not showing symptoms uh, that you can play if you're asymptomatic under any circumstances, we might well be getting there. But college sports is not going to be the first one that gets there. That's going to be the NFL, which frankly is under duress to get it done because it's playoffs are coming. It's the NBA, which is now postponing games left and right because of all this stuff. So just again, trying to provide you with as much circumstantial evidence and kind of a peek behind the scenes. Everyone wants to be playing these games and, uh, you know, the college sports industrial complex and these athletic directors, these university presidents, these conference commissioners, they got to figure out what they're going to do in the next couple of weeks here, because, you know, the, the men's NCAA tournament, that means everything. And hopefully, ideally, we're out of this for the most part with this wave by March. But we got to get there, man. We got to play the games. You got all these TV. You got all this television inventory. These universities rely upon it. And so there's more to come. I'll have a story about this later in the week on CBSports.com as well, what we're going to do with the forfeits and all that stuff. But, yes, um, you know, a lot of high-profile programs have gone on pause, Memphis being one of them, Ohio State, UCLA. I mean, the list, we have a story up right now, and this is, you know, I hate that we're here, but we are here. One last thing on this, um, because I know there's got to be somebody out there saying, um, well, you know, coaches, athletic departments, they can't make these student athletes get the vaccine. And that's technically true. We've talked about that, you know, whether it's a religious exemption or a player who comes from a, you know, a legitimate anti-vax family. Um, there are coaches, I've talked to them, who have run into those issues. But to not... 
to have the majority, and it appears the majority of the Memphis roster was unvaccinated, to have the majority of your roster unvaccinated and to, by your own admission, um, not even follow up on it. Like, that's what Penny said on Sunday afternoon. He was like, you know, I just never really followed up on it. That's not leadership. You know, Nick Saban coaches in the state of Alabama. I don't know if you know how they feel about vaccines in Alabama, but it ain't great. But he managed to get his his football program vaccinated, I believe, at 100%. Lane Kiffin coaches in Mississippi. I can just tell you not everybody in Mississippi cares much about vaccines. But he got his football program 100% vaccinated. Um, You don't just say, hey, guys, how do you feel about this? And then walk away from it and wait for this ticking time bomb to go off for your season to be paused. You lead and you encourage and you educate and you circle back to it and you circle back to it and you circle back to it. And I understand you're always going to run into a Kyrie Irving or you're, you're often, you're sometimes going to run into a Kyrie Irving or an Aaron Rodgers and you deal with those the best you can. But I think what we learned through football and in the NBA and in the NFL and I think largely throughout the sport of college basketball as well is that if it's if it matters to you and it's a priority to you and you emphasize it, you can get this done for the most part. And you can't make people who don't want to be vaccinated get vaccinated, but you're the coach. You're in charge of playing time. You're in charge of who's where. You know, you can make things difficult on the unvaccinated in a way that encourages them slash forces them to go get vaccinated. I know college, I know other college coaches who have done it. You know, oh, you're unvaccinated. You got to eat over there. Oh, you're unvaccinated. That means you got to get tested three times a week. Tomorrow's test at 5 a.m. Coach, I don't want to get up at 4 a.m. Then go get vaccinated. You'll never have to get up at 4 a.m. again. But as long as you're unvaccinated, uh, set your alarm for 415. Make sure to brush your teeth. Like, you know, you can make life hard on these people to do the right, sensible thing, not just as a human, but as a member of a team. Too many Memphis players being unvaccinated has cost that team an opportunity. It cost that fan base a game. And it could end up costing the program a trip to the NCAA tournament. That's out. That's outrageous. That's a failure on a lot of different levels. All right, let's uh, I want you to cheer. Let's let's go. Let's go uplifting again here. Trust me for everyone that gets, you know, worn down by this stuff. Man, we're all sick of this stuff, but it does. Listen, it's news and we're going to talk about it on the show and we appreciate our uh, our smart listenership. We've always appreciated you and uh, we have a very get it open minded audience and we thank you for that. Let me whip around the weekend here. Um, First of all. We're down to six unbeatens. San Francisco lost at Grand Canyon. We mentioned that earlier. Bryce does care. Uh, but then it won by one in a grinder on Sunday night. So San Francisco, by the way, is now 11-1. and one. Here are the undefeated left standing. Baylor, Arizona, LSU, USC, currently on pause. Colorado State, currently on pause. Lost a game against Alabama because of it. They're not going to get to play on Tuesday. Um, weirdly might help CSU because it could have a non-undefeated non-conference record, whereas if it takes the loss, like, you know, who knows? And then Iowa State. All right. Big East, Villanova falls by 20 on Friday night against Creighton. Creighton, by the way, now has wins over Nova and BYU. Maybe it's on the way to building an NCAA tournament resume. Uh, Providence and Xavier both won. So they're 11 and one. Providence was up by like 16 against UConn, wins by four at the XL Center. AJ Reeves had 16 points. Uh, Did a great job on UConn. 
Okay. Providence right now. How about this? Bet you didn't know this. I know, every, I know everything about Providence. Okay. How many quad wins do they have? Four. Got it. I know Holy everything. Country. I know everything about Providence. Only Who's because that? only because Providence fans tell me everything about Providence. Yeah, there we go. A, that that's fair. Because I was about to ask you who their number two assistant was, but we won't go there. Um, Providence has four quad one wins. Only team in the country. Um, their uh, their wins over uh, wins against Bubble on Torvik. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with that, aren't you? You want it with the preseason bias or without? Nope. That doesn't 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 count with preseason bias, my man. No, but I've only already established US. I like to do that for fun. USC. The only teams that have played better uh expectancy versus their schedule in Providence this season. USC, Baylor, Arizona, Iowa State, LSU, and Michigan State. Providence is looking like a top 20 team right now. Beating Wisconsin and UConn. I know no Johnny Davis on the road and beat Texas Tech at the dunk. So I bring up Providence because they got the good win. Xavier, also, I see you 11 and 1. And when you combine that with Villanova losing again by 20, Parrish, Friday night, somewhere in the middle, middle America, just a quick, quick thought from you on the state of the Big East and if you've been recalibrated in terms of what to expect in that league. Well, of course, because I think you could probably co- pull a preseason episode where we talked about Villanova is going to win the Big East by multiple games. And I guess it, I guess it still could. Someone reminded me that we literally said if we had to bet our life on one team winning the league, we would pick Villanova. And right now, that's not that's not looking not looking good. So good for us at the moment. I can't. I should be more careful with my life. You believe this? I should be more careful with my life. Um, I did move Providence into the top 25 and one on Sunday morning. Still not good enough for some Providence fans. I've been getting worn out by this one Providence fan on Twitter. She is something, boy. She is wild. She is wild in the streets. I looked at her. She appears to be a, and I'm not even joking around. This is the way she describes herself. A, A lesbian painter or a lesbian photographer. I can't remember. It was a little bit of a haze when I looked at it, but, um, she either takes pictures or paints pictures, and they're beautiful. She's, like, clearly talented. Like, I'm a much bigger fan of her paintings than she is of my rankings, but, boy, whoo, she's been wearing me out in the Twitter mentions. I was going to – I was thinking about it. I, I got to mute this or block it, but then I was like, if I mute it or block, I'll never – I'll forget who they are, and then I will never get to see her paintings. She's an artist, and she actually is talented. So I didn't want to eliminate that from my world. So I'm just going to, I'll just take my Twitter beating from that Providence fan. And, uh, you know, whenever she posts some new paintings, I'll check them out. All right. Those are Parrish's thoughts on the big East elsewhere around, (laughs) elsewhere around the sport this, this weekend. Oh man. Um, by the way, I can't get enough of the fact that I look like, I feel like I need glasses now because since your battery went out, like the quality of your video hasn't kicked back in. So I'm like, this is not working out here, but, uh, but hey, live TV, you got to love it. All right, rest of the weekend, real quick, before Parrish explains to us why the hell he travels with the passport when he's not leaving the country. Auburn beat L- uh, LSU, SLU, St. Louis, in the best game of the weekend. Walker, I'm surprised you didn't want this as item number two. Your guy, Walker Kessler, 19-9 with four blocks, man. Breakthrough player of the year. He's on his way, my bud. He uh, he helped Auburn come back from trailing 13 in the second half. It was a really, really good game. I thought that was the best one of the weekend. I'm not saying Auburn's the best team in the SEC, but I'm now saying I'm considering that being a possibility, whereas in the preseason, we did not. When we talked about the best team in the SEC, we mentioned 
we well, we mentioned Alabama and we mentioned Kentucky and we mentioned Tennessee and did we mention one more? I feel like it was Al- and Ella. Nah, we, it was Alabama and, and Florida, maybe or no, Arkansas, Arkansas. So there we go. And now look at uh, look at Auburn coming to crash the party here. Freshly eligible to make the 2022 NCAA tournament. Elsewhere, Gonzaga won by 14. How about this? Gonzaga beats Texas Tech by 14 and get 12 combined points from Timmy and Holmgren. Seven fouls, 53 minutes played from those two. Gonzaga wins easily. An impressive win. Um, one that I think was crucial for Gonzaga eventually building a number one seed resume. I felt if, as though if they lost that game with the difficulty of the WCC, Gonzaga getting a one might have been a tough task, but they get that in their pocket. And that's good. Um, I puffed up the Bonnies and I got to own this. They lost 86-49 to Virginia Tech. They have lost their past two games by a combined 47 points to the two best non-conference opponents they had this season, UConn and VT. Um, what's more, Bonna's going to lose, at least it should. I don't know if as we record this, this is off the books, but Northeastern is on COVID pause. And while that's not a huge, huge opponent, it is a road opportunity for Bonaventure, which can take as many of those opportunities and potential wins as it could get for an at-large resume. So it takes a, uh, a potential road W off the table there. So St. Bonaventure's at-large case, I think is getting pretty slippery, uh, pretty, pretty fast. Elsewhere, not too much else. It was kind of a wild weekend because of how many teams, like one after another going on COVID pause here. Um, I don't know if Iowa's going to make the tournament, but I know that Keegan Murray is going to have to be a stud if that's going to be the case. I think the the under-the-radar result was what Iowa did to Utah State in South Dakota. Keegan dropped 35, and the Hawkeyes won by 19. So they're doing well, and credit to Fran McCaffrey because I think that program is outperforming to this stage expectations anyone else had heading into season. So, um you know, there are a few others, but I'm not going to bog the podcast down because I want to get to my buddy's uh, story here. But that's just kind of a, a tour of what went down over the weekend. There's a couple other teams we're talking about, but their schedule should set them up for us to discuss them later in the week. Well, I tell you, from a top 25 and one perspective, like one of the things I noticed Saturday night was that there's a lot of games, but like not a lot of shakeup. Like for the most part, the teams that were supposed to win won the games. And so... Now we go into a week that's a little light on interesting matchups. And uh, I don't know, uh, regular conference play will be here soon enough. I can't. It will. By the way, my, if you're looking, I usually on the Sunday episode, try and give you the heads up. There's nothing Monday. Uh, Creighton DePaul might have been compelling. DePaul on COVID pause. Gonzaga, Baylor, Purdue, one, two, and three, and Ken Palm. They do play, but they all play cupcakes. And then Tuesday night, if these games can be played as scheduled, Xavier Nova, that's the big one. Kansas at Colorado. Keep an eye. UConn plays Marquette. Could be intriguing. UConn now finds a little, itself with a little bit of urgency. And then Alabama lost Colorado State. It's going to play Davidson, which became the replacement opponent. That's actually a pretty good job there by Davidson, which is trying to uh, to do something for itself in the non-con. And in Alabama, that's a quality enough opponent there. So that's what we've got coming Monday and Tuesday. And uh, so there we go. All right, let me tell you what happened to my passport. First off, is it outrageous to uh, travel um, in the States with your passport? I do it. If you ask, if the question is, why do you do it? It's because I'm always fearful of like, if I lose my license, at least I'll have my passport. I think Nada needs to post a poll as we wrap the pot here. I've I've never traveled. I don't want to say never, but I think I, I don't think I've ever gone on a plane uh, flying you know, within the country and brought my passport. I usually just save that for the, uh, for the international flights. Yeah. I just keep it in my bag. And um, if I, if I need it for some reason, if I lose my license, I can still check into my hotel. I can still, you know, uh, get on a flight. No problem. 
Um, so that would be the explanation. I might change this policy going forward, but that would be the explanation for why I had it. So game's over. Kentucky throttles North Carolina. And I immediately have to go outside to do a live hit outside T-Mobile. Grab my bag, go outside. I find my cameraman, Greg, who was um, unbelievable. Incredible camera guy. Had me standing on all sorts of things. I stood on a box one time. Shafts to Greg. Stood on the side of a concrete barrier one time. Turns out if you're trying to get the T-Mobile sign in a shot with me, you need me to be a little taller. And so we were doing everything we had to do. So if you were walking out of T-Mobile and you saw me standing on top of things, that's what I was, that's why. So I get over to Greg. He's like, oh, okay, there you go. They want you in four minutes. I said, cool, let me get my IFP. For people who don't know, IFP, it's a, a ear, earpiece, basically. You plug it in and then, um, you know, it, 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 it's an earpiece. Uh, so that they can talk to you, you know, so that the host can talk to you. You can hear the questions so you're not just, you know, operating blindly. So go into my bag, get my IFP. We're in a bit of a scramble mode because it's like, hey, they're coming to you in three minutes, coming to you in two minutes. And I'm, uh, you know, I just got out there. Boom, boom, boom. Do the live shot. Everything goes well. I, uh, you know how it works. They say, okay, uh, Gary, thanks. You're clear. That means we're done with you. And so I uh, take my IFP off. You know, I've got some Kentucky fans there who are waiting to, to, to have a conversation. So I start talking to them. I'm not focused is my point. So I'm taking my IFB off. I'm handing Greg the mic. I'm talking to Kentucky fans. I'm uh, telling Greg goodbye. And then I'm, you know, packing up my stuff and getting ready to go to my hotel. And I'm just going to write my column from there because uh, trying to go back into the building at this point seems pointless. Get to my hotel and I'm writing a column. Going pretty well, I think. And then at some point, my wife calls. And uh, so I answer the phone. And uh, I said, hey, what's up? And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm, uh, I'm writing a column. What's up? She said, did a girl um, message you on Instagram? And I was like, oh, this sounds like a trap. You liar. <laughs> I said, this sounds like a trap. I was like, uh, I don't know. Why don't you put your cards on the table first before I start answering these questions oh my goodness i'm just joking i said did a, okay. I, I said i don't i don't know if a girl messaged me on instagram because i genuinely didn't know i don't check those as often as i should i guess and i'm like uh she's like well do girls normally message you on instagram and i was like well sometimes sure not as much as they used to when i was younger but um every once in a while you get a message on Instagram. It's somebody that says uh, they listen to the podcast or somebody wants to send you a big bang challenge or sometimes it's just spam. But like, what, what is, what are we trying to get to here? And uh, so I, I, I go check my phone. Sure enough, I've got a message from a girl. Let's go. She says, uh, she says, uh, the message says, where are you? You, you dropped your passport and driver's license. No, your passport and CBS badge. Um, where are you? I can get it. I can get it back to you. What you say? What you say? What you say? So I'm like, uh, I'm like, well, I, I can see how that might look not great <laughs> here in Las Vegas, and a girl's like, hey, I've got your stuff. And uh, to this young woman's credit, I assume she's young. I'd never met her. Um, she also messaged my wife. She found my passport, went to my Instagram, found me, and when I didn't respond, she could connect some dots pretty quickly and find my wife, and she messaged my wife. 
How sweet was that? So then my wife told me, hey, this girl's saying she's got your stuff. And I was like, I clearly just dropped it when I was getting my IFB out. Because everything, I went, so I'm, as I'm on the phone, I go and look at my backpack. It's got like a pocket on the front, you know? That's where I keep my passport, my <laughs> CVS badge, um, like, uh, you know, just stuff you might need. Honestly, dude wipes. Keep dude wipes in there in case you ever need them. <laughs> some, some things we just, yeah, let's keep going. You never know. So, um, so I, uh, I look at my bag. Literally nothing is in that pocket anymore. Nothing. Everything. And so I messaged the girl. I'm like, yo, uh, I don't know, man. Thank you for reaching out. You just talked to my wife. You're really nice. She's like, it looked on the ground like a bunch of stuff fell out of a bag. I just grabbed the passport and the badge. And so I was like, well, that's exactly what happened. I just left my zipper open on my bag and everything fell out. And I just kept walking like, like a moron. And so she's like, all right, listen, I'm working the Bruno Mars show at Park MGM. Insane. Okay. She's like, I'm working the Bruno Mars show at, at Park MGM. Um, I can meet you after the show. Or I can just, when I'm done working, I can leave it with security here. And I was like, well, let's definitely leave it with security. Like the whole meeting after the show thing sounds problematic. Just, I didn't say that, but I'm sort of thinking through it. Yeah, let's just leave it through the security. Let's create a middleman here. And uh, so I said, okay. So I tell our bosses, Marcus Nelson, I'm like, listen, I got to finish this column. Because Marcus at some point like, texted me. He was like, how did Auburn come back and beat St. Louis? I said, I have no idea. I'm, I'm messaging with a girl at a Bruno Mars concert trying to get my passport back. I have no idea what happened with Auburn. So I'm like, ah, I got to do the top 25 and one, and then I'll just go to the park MGN and I'll get my stuff and I'll come back. Would have been incredible if she was at one of these Adele shows that cost like 10 grand per ticket, but continue. Right. I would have so, brought it all together with the podcast vehicle. So my, like on a, like I was not, believe it or not, I'm not even planning to go out at all last night. I'm not, I, I've got an early flight today. I, I'm not going out at all. So I'm like, Jesus Lord. Now I've got to take a shower, get dressed. I got to go to park MGM, but whatever. I'll just, uh, it, if nothing else, I got a story. And, um, you know, it is an example of a person doing something nice. They didn't have to stop, pick this up, reach out and find my wife and all this stuff. So, like, just make the best of it. So I get done with the top 25 and one, get done with the column. I jump in a car, head over to the park MGM. Get there. And immediately it occurs to me. She said she would leave it after the show. We're not even close to after the show. Experiment Rhino time. So I went to a little noodle shop. I don't know if you heard. I've got uh, got my wisdom teeth taken out. I still can't eat real food too well. So I went and got some noodles. <laughs> I went and got some ramen. That tooth problem. I got teeth. I got to tell you, I can't chew real food yet. So I uh, I went there. I was like, I guess I just got to wait for the Bruno Mars show to be over. <sighs> and I guess I'll just eat some ramen while I'm waiting for the Bruno Mars show to get over. So uh, I sit down. And I was already a just frustrated by myself because I just created this whole issue by not zipping a bag up. It's just so stupid. And uh, so I sit down, the bartender comes over to me and he immediately, I got, a, I got my Mets hat on. And he immediately says, uh, heard you hired Buck Showalter this morning. And I'm like, yeah. And he's a big baseball fan, this bartender. So I just sit there and drank and ate noodles and talked baseball with a guy for about an hour. A pleasant experience. Then the Bruno Mars show let out. I went to uh, 
security. Picked up the little security phone in the middle of the casino. They were like, hello. I was like, my name is Gary Parrish. I think somebody left my passport with you. And they were like, yep, got it. We'll bring it right to you. Just stay right where you're at. And they brought it right to me. The whole thing was a people are good. That's my point. They really are. It's easy to get beat down in this world. Um, and get so frustrated with people, how much you hate them. But like, that's an example of this, of this woman seeing something laying on the street and she could have done it. She could have just walked, but she's busy. She got a show to work tonight. And she was like, somebody is missing this. Somebody needs this. And I'm going to do what I can do to try to help them. And oh, by the way, this is Vegas. where like this kind of thing would almost be to be expected. And so it's like, uh, okay, this is the third time this week I've come across someone that lost something here. But not only made sure she found you, man, found the wife. Found the wife. Kelly getting the message from some woman out in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, that, that's where it started. Hey, right hey, I, hey, I have your husband's passport and CBS badge. <laughs> it's not a good, that's not a great place to start the conversation. Just unbelievable right but, there. Um, and so I offered, tell me what I should have done. I, I said, hey, while you're um, at it, as oh, we were instant messaging back forth, I said, hey, while you're at it, um, if you have a Venmo or an Apple uh, cash or um, any like uh, cash app or whatever, does our man, the king of extortion, are you about to tell me you were willing to pay a woman that you met in Vegas? Let the record show. I'm just laying out how it's. I've still never met this woman. Actually have no idea what her name is. But you even, wanted a monetary transaction. Even her Instagram, even her Instagram account that she messaged me from, it's not a name. It's a, it's like <laughs> edible cookies. If you want to buy edible cookies, Oh my <laughs> that's who you go to. So I don't have any idea who this person was, but I sent him a message and I said, uh, Hey, can I like, I, you know, let me properly appreciate you via Venmo or something. Um, you know, cause like you didn't have to do what you did and you saved me a lot of problems. And, uh, she was like, no, 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 it's all good. Uh, I just wouldn't want to be in your situation. And if I were in your situation, I would want uh, somebody to help me. And I was like, what a sweet person this is. And then I messaged her back. I was like, cool. Well, like, could you send some of those edible cookies over or something? I didn't Yeah, do that. someone who either makes, sells, or markets weed cookies, pot cookies, <laughs> saving your weekend. On this note, people are incredible. Like 17, 18 years ago, I'm three miles from my house getting gas. This is back when I rocked a wallet. Haven't rocked a wallet in a solid 12, 13, 14 years. I leave the wallet on top of my car because I don't know. I put it there and I go to undo the thing, whatever. I I pull out of the gas station, super busy four-way intersection, no idea. Wallet's on the car. Whew. Bye-bye. It's in the middle of the road. And then I don't drive right home. I don't remember where I go, but I don't go right home. And I go somewhere where I don't need a wallet. Maybe I went and played some pickup hoops or something like that. But then eventually I get home, call it two hours later, and uh my father's my father's got uh got the wallet yeah and he's like son did you forget this i was like i didn't even it didn't even compute i was like how is that possible i just got and they explained to me that this man saw me pull out of the gas station <laughs> the wallet went flying off the hood of my car into this four-way intersection person got it obviously saw where i lived was familiar enough with the area this is like 
this is before iPhones. I mean, this is this is I was in college at the time and uh, and they found where I lived, returned my wallet out of the kindness of their heart that had. I mean, I was not I was talking about no big bank. <laughs> I might have had a 10 in there, a 10 and two wrinkled up one dollar bills. But the money was still all in there. And I never found the person. They just dropped it off and said, listen, you know, I saw. So to your point, people are incredible. And if you anyone listening or watching, if you ever find yourself in a position where you can help someone else, particularly if they have no idea that they, you know, it, please do it. Good karma universe sending something great back your way. And I'm glad we could end this podcast. I know it's a longer one than normal, but Parrish's story was really, really awesome. And uh, my my just absolute favorite part about this is that you go to Vegas and this person finds your wife and tells you that they have your passport. Well, I that's mean, a well, that's a that's a that's well, a hard that's a hard direct message to get. You know, my poor wife's just sitting home with the kids and she gets a message from a woman saying, I've got your husband's stuff out of here in Vegas. Like you, you, it's easy to see where your mind might take you. What has this idiot done this time? But really, the answer to that question, what has this idiot done this time, was I forgot to zip my bag up when I was leaving my live shot outside of T-Mobile. I must have lost six or seven little individual dude wipes packets. <laughs> okay. Heads up before GP those does things, Those things don't grow on trees, you know? They literally can't. Um, we've got Christmas week coming up here. All right? So heads up. We're going to amend the schedule this week. We are going to, the, the plan is, who knows, but our, our, our target here to prepare you for downloads, for travel, and also if you want to watch live uh, on our, our morning shows, we normally go Wednesday, Friday, Christmas Eve is Friday. We're going to get you that second podcast for your commute or well in advance of it. So the plan here is Tuesday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern. That's a day earlier than normal in the rotation. We're looking out for you, Okay. Tuesday at 10 a.m. and then likely Thursday at 10 a.m. The schedule gets a little bit lighter, but there's enough to talk about. And uh, if we get to Thursday and it's kind of uh, kind of light, I'm working in at some point, be it Thursday or next week. I'm going to have some year in review. Good stuff as well. And a little teaser. Nada has been working on something for the YouTube channel. You need to subscribe. Like this video if you haven't already. Subscribe because he is not as doing good stuff right now. So just be aware. Tuesday, Thursday, 10 a.m. Next two episodes We'll be live on YouTube as always, and then we'll get those into the feed as quickly as possible. So if you're traveling Thursday or on Christmas Eve, you'll have another episode waiting for you. Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern? Yeah, that's what we talked about before we fired this thing up. Yes. I, just, I just realized I got, a, I got a scheduling conflict. Oh, my. We literally talked about this before we went live. I know. I'll, I'll, I'll rearrange. It's fine. Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern. I'll be here. We'll figure it. I'll do what I got to do. All right. I'll do what I got to do. Pretty good noodles, by the way. Pretty good noodles. <laughs> okay. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Jerry Broom, legend. Shouts to Larnell. I hate this episode because I pulled my mic out for two minutes. We've got people in the comments saying it's one of the best ones ever, though. So, beautiful accidents. I just kept talking. I, I know, and you couldn't hear me either. Uh, I couldn't hear you, but I could see your face moving. I was like, what is he doing talking over me like this? How dare he? And uh, I pulled the wrong cord out. It's on me. That's on me. That's a that's something I'm going to have to learn from, you know? I'm going to have to learn from that. I'm going to have to be better next time. Make sure all my cords are where they ought to be. If you're not uh, subscribed, please go subscribe. 
anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. <laughs> and if you're not subscribed over on YouTube, make sure to do that. Smash the like button. Show me how you used to do it. Dead leg. Ooh. Someone just commented. I just got here and I'm crying. I didn't get to see the bald dead mouth. <laughs> how did we do this podcast before live commenting? I don't know. Love you. <laughs> we did it. Actually, it was a lot easier. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it's actually a lot easier. We did it. We did it quite well. If you if you want to know the truth. Oh, man. We'll talk to you again Tuesday morning. Till then, take care. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bad. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.